0: And all of God's people say, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you Amen. Thank you, team. Well, I will be talking about our Father. How many of you have heard the term toxic masculinity? <laughs> Some of you. Well, in this uh, age of so called toxic masculinity, in age of transgenderism, in the age of a ferocious attack on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, an age where many a father proven to be delinquent in exercising their God given servant leadership in the home, in an age where many a father have abandoned their families in an age where fathers are portrayed on television as buffoons and uh, bumbling idiots uh, someone who's really just slightly more valuable than a family pet in this toxic environment and it is toxic the words of 1 Corinthians 4:14 4, to 21 which you heard this morning are sobering words regarding fatherhood By the way, I don't need to tell you that the whole reason we are in this confusion, cultural confusion, national confusion, or even global confusion, is a result of turning our backs on God and His Word. Please listen to me. The answer, and I know many pastors watching around the world and in this country, the answer is not surrendering to the so-called sexual revolution. The answer is not capitulating to this mass deception regarding manhood and womanhood. The answer is not to invite into the church of Jesus the tampering with God's created order. Can I get an amen? amen. Why? Why do I say this? Because doing that will only lead, to further, lead us further into moral Decay and moral extinction uh, to do this is gonna literally dissolve our Western civilization before our eyes. Indeed, this is the time for God's people to faithfully but lovingly say, Thus says the Lord. Amen. Say it with me. <laughs> Thus, that God calls men and fathers to be role models, to lovingly serve and lead, to lovingly model godliness, to be a role model in authentically leading by sacrificing, sacrificial giving and living and loving. So, we've been seeing in this series of messages from 1 Corinthians, and if you haven't been here, please download it when you get the chance. and. Watch so you can keep up with the series. The Apostle Paul is addressing something is of vital importance and probably of more importance in our time than any time in my life. What is it? That small compromises eventually, sooner or later, will lead to a complete departure from biblical truth. Pulling our anchor from the water of the Word of God will cause us to be lost in the sea of chaos and confusion. And in these days, God's men and women need to stand up and shine His light. In fact, this is the reason why the Apostle Paul is writing to them, and I believe with all my heart he's writing for us in the 21st century, saying, and sometimes he says this, He he, he says says this with sternness. Sometimes he does it with psychasm, and other times he does it with rebuke, because he knows that any church, any church can reach the abyss traveling one inch at a time. One inch at a time. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 14, to the end. And I've asked myself the question as I was preparing and I'm praying, and I, I asked, why? Why is Paul being so uncompromising here? Why is that? And the answer is this, because he loves them as a faithful father loves his children. And he makes that very clear. Because he cannot stand watching them straying away from God's word one step. One step at a time. One step at a time. It's grieving him to his very depth of his soul. He cannot bear seeing them being misled by Satan, just like Adam and Eve were misled. In the garden, because as a faithful father, spiritual father, he gives his children the best and the most. Paul wants them to experience the fullness of authentic faith in Christ. Question What are the marks of godly fatherhood? as described here in this passage. Well, there are at least four. There may be more. You may be able to find more, but at least four that I have found in this passage here. And I want to share those four characteristics about godly fatherhood from this passage. First of all, in verses 14 and 15, he said a godly father must lovingly admonish. Secondly, in verse 16, he said that a godly father is to be an example setter. He is to set the example. And thirdly, verse 17, is a godly father is to teach, is to be a teacher. And th- fourthly and finally, verses 18 to 21, a godly father is to discipline. I'm gonna explain that in a minute. Look at them closely with me. How does a father, a faithful father, whether it be earthly father of, of, of physical children or spiritual father, uh, how to lovingly admonish his children. Godly fathers must first warn his child when he sees them getting off into the danger zone. Uh, that's the beginning of admonition. Uh, the word that Paul uses here, it means to correct It means to make right what is wrong. What purpose? What what, what purpose? Investing time and energy and effort. Why? For the purpose of bringing about the change. The idea here is very clear. In admonishing, you do not do it to destroy the child, but to reclaim him or her. It is not to abuse the child, uh, but to get alongside of them and help them change direction. It is not to provoke the child and put them down. It's not to be constantly critical of the child, but to uplift them. Beloved, listen to me. No father can do all of this by being an absentee father. Some years ago, I read this story that stuck with me about a young man who was about to be sentenced to the penitentiary for committing a forgery. The judge happened to know the father of that young man, not personally, but know of him, because the father of this young man was a well-known legal scholar. And he authored a very important book Back then, I I don't know if it's still in existence, but he he wrote a book, one of the most landmark books in, in law called The Law of Trusts. So the magistrate asked the young man, do you remember your father? Yes, I remember him well, Your Honor. Then trying to probe the offender's conscience, the judge asked the young man, He said, as you are about to be sentenced, and when you think about your wonderful father, what do you clearly remember about him? The young man paused, and then the judge received an answer he did not expect. He said, I remember him, sir. When I went to him for advice, he looked up from the book that he was writing And he said to me, run along, boy, I'm busy. When I went to him for companionship, he turned me away saying, run along, son. This book has to be finished. And the judge muttered, saying, alas, he finished the book but lost his son. King David was a great military warrior, but he failed miserably in a lovingly admonished his children, and they paid, he paid dearly for it. Eli the priest, who discipled the prophet Samuel, he did not admonish his sons Hophni and Phineas, and they grew up to be wild boys. They abused the offerings, and they were immoral. And what is worse, as you read 1 Samuel, particularly chapter 2, 3, and 4, you, see, you notice that the priest Eli wasn't even aware that his boys have gone out of control. Godly fathers must lovingly admonish. Godly church leaders must lovingly admonish when they see one of their members are in danger. When you see a brother or sister going into the deep end, you cannot shrug the shoulder and say, well, it's none of my business. If you love them, you lovingly admonish them. Sometimes admonition can be the most loving thing to do. Can I get an amen? But the sad part is this, and that really is the one that breaks my heart that we live in a time when pastors, preachers, teachers are the one who are misleading their congregations. But here is a great example from Paul about loving admonition. Listen carefully. He refers to the Corinthians Carnal as they were, as brothers, several times. Why? Because a loving father, he cannot only admonish, but also encourage. Paul calls them not just children, but beloved children. in spite of their disobedience to the Word of God, in spite of their immoral lifestyle, which we'll see in the next message, in spite of their doctrinal errors, which we'll see down the road, in spite of their spiritual immaturity, he loved them just the same. If we only love our children, only if or only when they're good, Obedient, perfectly behaving, it's a terrible, terrible mistake. Some make the mistake of telling their children when they're young, I love you if you… and fill in the blank. I love you if you… no. These children will grow up to associate love with reward. Love is, it could never be associated. Love has to be unconditional. And Paul's love for the Corinthians gave everything and asked for nothing in return. Please listen to me. Just as a loving father wants to bring healing and comfort to his children's hearts, just as a loving father wants to help his children to overcome fear and apprehension, and worry, and anxiety, just as a loving father wants to deal differently in the different stages of his children's lives, so does the spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, here with the Corinthians. The first thing is what? Can you say it with me? The first thing is what? Why are you getting a lump in your throat? The first thing is for good fathers to do what? What? Secondly, godly fathers is to set the example. Verse 16, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, you, always, you know that I always come clean with you, and I confess errors that I've committed in the past, because I'm not going to stand here and uh, pretend. I had lots of problem with that verse for many years. I really did. Before I had children, or even after I had children, when I was in seminary and was studying 1 Corinthians, uh, and and before I was ordained and after I was ordained, (laughs) that verse used to bother me, always gave me a lump in my throat. When I was preparing for ordination and after ordination, (laughs) follow my example, I, I could never do that. And that continued for a while, and I got really to understand the depth of this statement. I want to explain it to you, so listen carefully. If I tell one of my children to be imitators of me, it does not mean that I'm perfect. Or I'm going to say, hey, look at me, boys, you know. No, I've never done that, by the way, because I know me, and they know me too. It's not look at me. No. I want them to imitate me, for even when they see me fail, but particularly when they see me fail, they see that I acknowledge my failure and that I am ready and willing to repent of my failure. Can I get an amen? Amen. You see, that really helped me a great deal. By the same token, if I tell my children, that you should not drink alcohol in excess. And I'm always tipsy every day. You know what I mean? Some of you do. You know what tipsy is? (laughs) What kind of an example is that? If I tell my boys, boys, you need to treat women with respect, you need to honor women, but I'm not loving or honoring their mother, what kind of an example is this? If I tell my children not to cheat, and I'm cheating on my taxes, what kind of an example is this? Uh, If I tell my children not to steal, but I'm stealing God's money and keeping the tithe and the offering in my pocket, the Bible said that when God doesn't get what belongs to God, I'm stealing that money. What kind of example am I setting? In fact, I can tell you something that I hope that you'll always, always, always remember. The hardest people to set the example for are those in your house, especially if you're a preacher. When my kids were young, they remembered every sermon. And I, to this day, wonder why did they remember them. It's just to hold me accountable. <laughs> Oh, they will listen to the sermons. And if I do or say anything in the slightest, oh, Dad, you remember what you said? Amazing what they can remember. And amazing what they can forget too. (laughs) Listen, listen, listen. Family is the hardest place to set an example to. If I'm discipling somebody outside of my family, my goodness gracious, I can act very spiritual. You know what I mean? Uh, Very, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a very spiritually mature with those who are not in my household. I mean, uh, I can speak with holy dullness. I remember the late Jim Caswell who said, the first thing I loved about you is you don't speak like a preacher. But we cannot pull this off in our homes. We can't pull, pull this off with our children. Why? Our children see us in all moods and attitudes. Our children see our bare and smelly feet. Our children see if we are the same at home as we are in public life. <coughs> I was thinking about this. And I thought of a godly young father who sat at the edge of the bed of his dying son. It has to be one of the most devastating things in the whole world. This young father was trying so hard to gather up some courage to tell the young boy, that he soon is going to glory. Although this father was comforted by the fact that his son, his boy, knew the Lord as his personal Savior and Lord, and he, without a doubt, going straight to heaven. But, as we all know, wonderful as this may be, the pain of separation is indescribable and too deep for words. And so finally... The father said, My son, are you afraid to meet Jesus? And the boy blinked away and brushed some tears. And then he bravely said, No, not if he's like you, Dad. What a testimony to this young father. I've known young fathers in this church, and I stand in awe. I know a particular young father who gave up one of the greatest world prestige because he did not want to compromise his fathering of his children. First, lovingly admonish. Secondly, setting the example. Thirdly, the godly father teaches. Look at verse 17 with me. The godly father teaches. One of the major disciplines, in addition to lovingly admonished and setting the example, is telling them the truth, biblical truth, Dads, let me tell you something. Young dads, listen to me. You are the primary Bible teacher in your home. Can I get an amen? Amen. All the women said amen. (laughs) Can I get an amen from the men? Paul not only taught the truth to the Corinthians, believers, as a loving father, But he also sent them some good and godly and authentic Bible teachers to help them along the way. He sent Apollos and he sent Timothy. Paul was not about to send them a false teacher or a compromising leader. Just like any father, any godly father would not take his children to a church, no matter how good the music is, to a church that is compromising the Word of God. Remember a few messages ago, I I mentioned, and Paul said that I laid the foundation, which is Christ alone alone. No other foundation. Only Christ. And then I told you that we all are builders. We are building on that foundation. Every single day, every one of us are building on that foundation. All dads and all moms are building on that foundation. All Bible teachers and and disciplers are building on that foundation. Every time you lead someone to Christ, you must follow it up by building on that foundation. Now, beloved, there are some… think that the truth of the Word of God is unintelligible and confusing. They do. Therefore, some preachers when they hear that from their non-believing congregation, uh, they will say, bypass Bible teaching. Water it down with some psychobabble in order for it to make sense. Uh, For instance, if the Old Testament truth is hard to accept by some, by today's standards, of course, move it or remove it. If the supernatural is difficult to comprehend by the modern culture, remove it. If judgment of God is unpopular, explain it away as just a symbolic thing. And that, my beloved, beloved, beloved friends, will eventually lead to not trusting any of the Word of God, not just the difficult passages. And you're going to end up only with the two covers of the book. Not even the maps are going to be there. But I'm also aware of the fact that some people, you know, there's some people get so philosophical, and you know me and philosophy, I'm not, we, don't, we, we don't agree. <laughs> I'm talking about worldly philosophy. I mean, they get so philosophical about the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God, and they lose the attention of people. You've been to places like that? I have. I mean, there is a denomination that shall remain nameless. Some of them are here in this church right now who pride themselves on being cerebral. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You'll never find that here. I'm not quite that cerebral. Which reminds me of a, a story of a little boy who was sitting in the back seat eating an apple while his father driving the car. And the boy said to his father, he said, Dad, why is my apple turning brown? His father said, because... After you eat the skin, the meat of the apple came in contact with the air. That causes oxidation, thus changing its molecular structure and turning your apple from white to brown. There was utter silence in the backseat, seat, and the four-year-old then finally said to his dad, he said, Dad, are you talking to me? <laughs> Beloved, the Bible said when Jesus spoke, common folks, common people heard him gladly. The purpose of communicating the truth, listen to me, listen to me. The purpose of communicating the truth is not to impress people with our knowledge, but to help them comprehend the truth. Then they can accept it or reject it, but at least they need to understand it. A godly father does what? Secondly, thirdly, I come fourthly and finally to a godly father is to discipline. (laughs) I know that in some circles, the word discipline is a dirty word, particularly my generation, the baby boomers can listen to me. I'm, I'm I'm not putting us down, but I'm just telling you. The, the kind of the the, the 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 it's a dirty word. The word discipline, and yet the Bible over and over and over again tells us that our heavenly daddy, <laughs> he disciplines his own children because he loves them so much. And fathers must discipline their children. I question why. People of my generation reject that word and think it's a dirty word. Discipline. Discipline is is just take it out. It's out of schools and out of homes, out of everywhere. Listen to me very carefully. Because my particular generation think that discipline means beating up the child. I really do that. I've I've talked to enough people. They think that discipline is synonymous with corporal punishment or physical punishment. (laughs) That could not be further from the truth of the Word of God. Discipline means that when I see my child falling into a pit, I gently and correct, correct, correct their direction so they move away from the pit. If I see my son is standing in front of a, a train, <laughs> then I immediately and lovingly and quickly come and move them away from danger and tell them why I did this. That's what discipline means. The, the Corinthians here were allowing their pride and arrogance to lead them into a very dangerous territory. They became so arrogant that they were saying, The Apostle Paul would not dare to discipline us, he'd not dare to correct us. He, uh, 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 we know everything, and we, we know better than he does, and we're just as smart, and we're just as knowledgeable, and we're just as gifted as he is. And Paul said, for the sake of your salvation, for the sake of your reward, for the sake of your peace and joy and fulfillment in life, I will not fail to correct you. Now, beloved, I want you to watch out. Just watch out. You will see it. When you hear a Christian become obsessed and constantly talking about the freedom in Christ, the freedom in Christ, when they become obsessed about their independence of the Bible, when when, when they say, I have the right to interpret the Bible as I see fit. I have rights, period. When you see this, watch it. When you see this, you know that that person, if they are a believer, he or she is in a backsliding mode. That's backsliding. We don't use that word very often these days. He's in a, he or she in a backsliding mode. Whenever someone is obsessed about grace, not the grace that saved us from sin, uh, but they're talking about the grace that allows us to sin to our heart's content, that person is taking, either taking the first step toward losing their way or they're covering up the loss of their way. Not long ago, a pastor of a mega church here in the United States had to step down from being a pastor because of a, a moral issue. One of his elders said the following listen carefully, we should have seen the signs because he became obsessed with grace, but not the grace of forsaking sin, it's the grace. That issues a license to sin. And here Paul concludes by telling us that power is not the power of words. Power is not the power of eloquent speech. Power is not on being a great communicator. No. He said, "The power is in the word of God. That's where the power is. Verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. <laughs> talk is cheap. Talk is inadequate. Talk is easy. Talk is insufficient. The kingdom of God is about the power of God in the Word of God. Can you say amen? amen. The power that transforms lives, not encourages them to sin. The power that changes lives, not keeping, in sin. The power that leads to holiness, not fake happiness. The power that converts, not keep you in place. The power gives you victory, not acquiescence to sin. My beloved friend, I don't know where you are. Only you know where you are. When I stand here Sunday after Sunday, pour my heart out to you, not my heart, not my words, but the words, the Scripture, the Word of God. I'm happy for any of you to hold me accountable if I say anything or preach anything that's not in the Word of God. But then I'm going to corporately ask you, challenge you, each individually. I know it's a large group, but individually, you ask yourself the question, what am I relying on? Am I relying on the power of the Word of God? Or am I relying on something else? My abilities, my talents, my gifts. And I pray as we go to the Lord in prayer that each of us would do business with God and say, God, I want to walk out of these doors totally relying on your power and the power of your Word. Can I get an amen? amen? Father God, I thank you that we recognize that we have no power. In fact, we have nothing that you have not given us. Even the breath that we're breathing right now comes from you, it's your gift. Everything is yours and comes from you. We have nothing to brag about. We have nothing to boast about. There's nothing to compare ourselves with others and then feel good about ourselves with. No. Holy Spirit, minister to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if someone here, Lord, who does not know you, and have never taken that first step Will you speak to them, Holy Spirit. Convict them. Bring them to yourself. Assure them of your love and forgiveness. I'm led to take a few moments of silence so that each of us, including your pastor, had time to talk with God alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please bless the Lord in a song.